look at the calendar. It's April already. I can't believe it. The fourth month of the year. The fourth month of the worst year ever. Welcome in, everybody. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball program. I am Jonas Nordman. Just getting through it with all of you. Appreciate you listening, as always. It is a beautiful day, or at least I hope wherever you're listening from, it is a beautiful day on this first day of April. I am recording again here uh, on a Wednesday, posting on the Wednesday. It is April 1st. I don't know about you, but I was really dreading this day in this age because I, I kind of figured there'd be some real gnarly, nasty, unfunny April Fool's tweets, pranks, but so far so good. I haven't seen anyone trying to pretend like the, the quarantines are over or anything like that. I guess some people do have hearts or, or they know how to take something seriously. If you do see anything like that, send them my way. I'd love to shame them online. But regardless, thank you for listening. If it is a beautiful day wherever you are here on this April day, hopefully you're getting your, your walks in while avoiding everybody. Still good to get the blood pumping. Still good to keep moving. Hopefully as you're taking those walks, you're listening to this show. That's a good way to pass the time, right? Good 25 to 30 minutes out there stretching your legs. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball program on the Believe Podcast Network, your number one podcast network for professionals. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? What I believe is that there was some beautiful news that came down the pipeline this morning. Again, recording right here, April 1st. I was game planning today's episode. What are we going to talk about? It's final four week. I'm super depressed that it's not happening. We could be in Atlanta right now, going to the Coca-Cola Museum, going to that huge aquarium that's also there in Olympic Park or Exposition Park, whatever they call it there. It's a really nice aquarium. Next time you're in Atlanta, uh, give, it, give it a look. It's really cool. We could be going to a Waffle House, getting some grits, but no, we're all stuck inside. So I was game planning the, the episode here on Final Four Week. And right away, I get a notification on my phone. As I said, everybody, right? That's how we get our news. Winner of the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year Award between Ashton Hagens of Kentucky, Mark Vidal of Baylor, Trey Jones of Duke, and Marcus Garrett of Kansas. The winner today was announced to be, that's right, out of Skyline High School there in Dallas. Marcus Garrett of your Kansas Jayhawks. So congratulations to Marcus. I, I do not know him personally, although the way I talk about him on this show, people may believe that I do. But, I mean, he had a fantastic year, and, and it was a true joy to watch him defensively in this age and in this era of the three-point shot and wide-open offenses and the first to get to 70 to 80 points in college. And in the NBA, they're scoring like 120 to 130 points per game pretty regularly to see a guy put in game changing defensive performances night after night, or at least game after game since they only play two games a week. I thought it was remarkable. I thought it was special. And I was sitting here thinking after seeing that he won the award to me, again, it's my show, right? And this is my opinion. I was trying to think of the most def- dominant defensive performances I've seen as a Kansas fan, and certainly in the Bill Self era, stretching back to the early 2000s. And to me, Marcus Garrett just put forth the most 
dominant defensive season since, to me, Jeff Withing back in 2012 and then his final season in 2013 there with Ben McLemore. It could be comparing apples and oranges. You've got a big, dominant seven-foot center patrolling the paint, the anchor of your defense. You've got a, a wing and Marcus Garrett, a small ball four sometimes, uh, a small forward who's out there on the perimeter, sometimes getting down low, playing some post-defense. But the way that Marcus Garrett did it all this year and the way that he single-handedly changed games, I, I, I'm thinking of the TCU game in Fort Worth, right? Four straight possessions. I think he had steals or some sort of defensive lockdown moment. Game changed. Kansas wins the game. Uh, a couple instances like that. West Virginia on the road at West Virginia. And think of these moments. These are road games. These are the toughest games on the schedule that Marcus Garrett affected and ended up contributing to Kansas winning another Big 12 title. So to me, I thought it was the most dominant defensive performance since 2013 and Jeff Wee. Biggest difference, obviously, is the versatility. I mean, Marcus Garrett can defend essentially four positions. And if, he, if another team's playing a small ball five, like really spreading it out, then I'm sure Marcus Garrett could do that also. And then he's technically guarding all five positions on the floor, which is amazing. And he deserved the award. Vital was fantastic for Baylor. Trey Jones is a disruptor for Duke. Ashton Higgins, I think that was more of a reputation award or a nomination. So this is the third season they've given out this Naismith Defensive Player of the Year award. First one ever. Went to Javon Carter of West Virginia. Remember him? Bald guy. He's now currently with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, last year went to Matisse Feibel. He was with Washington last year, UW with the Huskies. Currently a Philadelphia 76er. Well, currently nobody is anything in the NBA right now. But he is under contract with the Philadelphia 76ers. So, two of the three years that the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year Award has been awarded has gone to the Big 12. That's pretty cool. Got to say that Marcus Garrett's probably your uh, early favorite, right? Next season as well. Although Mark Vidal will have something to say about that. Real quickly on the defensive numbers for Marcus Garrett, and we've got a great show for you to, for you today. Marcus Garrett talk, winning the award. A little bit of schedule talk right around the corner here. It's never too early to talk about who KU will play. And then I will continue our series of reviewing the performances of the players last year to look ahead to the future, to look ahead to next year, because it is offseason time. So here are the defensive numbers real quickly for Marcus. 4.5 deflections per game, 6.9 in his last nine games played. He was fifth in the conference as well in steals per game. You start talking about deflections. And how many deflections per game a guy has. That's like talking about a defensive back in football. Obviously way different. But he would intercept some passes. He would break up some situations for the, the offensive team. He really was like that safety on defense. Just doing a little bit of everything. So congratulations to Marcus Garrett. Well deserved. And I, I really can't wait to see what happens next year. I, I was thinking about it earlier today. Next year, Marcus Garrett could be tasked with running the offense or at least being the primary ball handler. And then he will also be asked to lock down an opposing team's best offensive player. 
No big deal. So you want to play college basketball, right? <laughs> at a high level. Have fun with that. But if there's a guy who can handle it, at least defensively, I do believe it is him. Congratulations. Believe in Jayhawks basketball. I am Jonas Nordman. If you have any thoughts about what I'm saying, thoughts, concerns, questions, just want to say what's up, send me a DM. Slide in head first on Instagram. I'd prefer it there. At JonasN310. Again, I switched up the handle to make it a little bit easier for people to find and to make it look a little bit more professional. At JonasN310. Schedule talk. Let's talk about who the Jayhawks will play. As some news came down the pipeline since the last time we talked in two different instances. So let's start with what's nearer on the horizon. We're looking out into the distance. And what is that shape coming towards us very slowly as we still have time until December? But you can still sort of make out, I believe it's the head of a Trojan. Well, yes, it is. As last week, I think it was, USC and Kansas, well, mostly USC announced that the two schools will be playing each other in basketball the next two basketball years. I make the note that mostly USC made this announcement because they hyped it up big time. Whereas you could not really find the news at all on the official Kansas channels. For KU and KU basketball, it's just another non-conference game. Oh, um, we're playing a Pac-12 team. We've played Arizona State before. We've gone to Tucson, played U of A, had a couple games with UCLA in the past. Whatever. We're just going to play another Pac-12 game. USC, and actually the first announcement came from John Rothstein, the excellent basketball writer for CBS Sports. And I mentioned him a couple weeks ago in the way too early rankings. But USC was putting out graphics. They were saying, and remember, the first game is going to be at the Fieldhouse this upcoming season. The game at the Galen Center for USC will be in two years. And they're already hyping up the fact that they're playing them. Sort of tells you where the two programs are at, right? If this was football, it probably would be roles reversed. KU football would be saying, oh, my God, we've got USC football coming to town, whereas USC football probably would not acknowledge it. So although from a Kansas perspective, playing the USC Trojans in basketball, you know, we may be turning our noses upward a bit and looking down the bridge of your nose. Oh, I see you there, Trojans. You're most, the best basketball player to ever play at USC is Lisa Leslie or Cheryl Miller. Take your pick. Both women's players, right? Two of the best ever. But don't discount USC quite yet. The reason being, we always want to see talent, right? We always want to see the best players going up against Kansas. It makes the, the non-conference season more fun. Well... USC will have, depending on the the recruiting service that you use, either the number one or the number two overall recruit joining them next year, and Evan Mobley. Now, how is USC getting the number one or the number two recruit? He is a Southern California guy out there in Temecula, wine country. Oh, and his dad is on the USC coaching staff. How... Appropriate? I guess that, that works out well, right? 
Kansas fans, we as Kansas fans cannot say anything about that. Mario Chalmers hits that game-tying shot in 2008. Kansas wins the national championship. And Ronnie Chalmers, his dad, just so happened to be a, an operation staff member right there on the bench for KU. And the minute that Mario declared for the draft, Ronnie was like, uh, you know, I think I may need to pursue other opportunities. No longer on the staff once Mario left. No big deal. Happens all the time. They're a Southern California family. I don't begrudge them one bit. But that is how the number one player in the nation or the number one recruit in the nation ends up at USC. And by hiring said dad slash coach, Eric Mobley, they opened up a pipeline to one of the best AAU teams on the circuit, the Compton Magic team. And through that pipeline, they got their best player from this past year, Onyeka Okongwu, who will likely be, if not a top 10 pick in the NBA draft, certainly a lottery pick, top 14, top 15. Open up that pipeline, get a little bit more talent coming in. All of a sudden, this is looking like a a bit of an intriguing game in the field house next year. Evan Mobley, his brother Isaiah Mobley, his older brother, slightly less talented, but a solid post player. So that'll that'll be fun. The thing about USC next year, though, is they lose Okongwu, Big O. They also lose three other seniors who accounted for a lot of production. Nick Rukosevic in the middle, Jonah Matthews on the wing, and Daniel Utomi, sort of a stretch four. So they're going to be putting together the pieces as well. Come December, who knows how USC will be looking? Who knows how Kansas will be looking? They'll have a brand new roster as well. But it should be fun. All I'm saying is don't discount that game quite yet. Now, when KU goes to the Galen Center in downtown Los Angeles, so I've been lucky enough to see Kansas play at Pauley Pavilion against UCLA. And again, the last time they were at the Galen Center, that was the year with Thomas Robinson. So it was December 2011 before Kansas went on its miracle run to the Final Four and to the championship game. There's going to be a lot of Kansas fans there. <laughs> I'll just say that. the The Kansas connection here in Southern California or in Southern California, the LA area is strong. Jayhawk nation will show up. It'll be a Kansas home game for sure. That's partly why USC is promoting the game now because they want Trojan fans to start looking forward to that game. It doesn't matter. There's going to be way more crimson and blue in the stands for that game. Should still be fun though. So that's Kansas versus USC. The other tantalizing bit of information that came down the pipeline earlier this week is the fact that Kansas has once again really beefed up their non-conference schedule. I mean, this is the team that had by far the number one toughest schedule this past year, and that doesn't look to change anytime soon considering they have now scheduled a home-and-home versus Gonzaga. How about that? So the Zags will be coming to Allen Fieldhouse in December of 2022. Yes, I'm looking all the way down the road to 2022. And then, of course, December 2023, when KU will travel all the way up to Spokane. That's going to be a heck of a travel. And they will be playing at the McCarthy Athletic Center, affectionately known as the Kennel. And I'll be referring to it as the Kennel from here on out. I was reading... Some Gonzaga blogs, and this is already being termed the biggest non-conference game in Gonzaga history. 
and we're still three years away. <laughs> Four seasons, three years. Now, North Carolina did go to the kennel this year, but by then, they were already stinking up the joint. I mean, we know Carolina had a really bad year this year. So assuming Kansas, I mean, depending what happens with the NCAA, right? But assuming they continue to at least be a perennial top 10 team and to have Kansas go to Gonzaga for the longest time is Gonzaga will play anyone, but they don't because no one will accept. Well, here's your chance, right, for Gonzaga and for Kansas. Good opportunity to go west, play in a very hostile environment. That will be fun. Gonzaga is always, at this point, a top five, top ten team. Next year, they very well may be the preseason number one team. That's not when KU is playing them. But it's going to hold true. Mark Few's got a good thing going there. Somehow, someway, he gets players to go to Spokane, Washington. He, we, of course, know at this point how he works the international waters. Always has some foreign big man or point guard. <laughs> Petrushev was the last one this year. That'll, that'll be, be, that will be some good stuff. I can't even talk. I'm so flabbergasted that Kansas and Gonzaga will be playing. Tells you a lot about where Gonzaga has, of course, come as a program. So that did get me thinking again. Who would you like to see Kansas schedule in a home-and-home? To me, the obvious answer is North Carolina. If nothing else, to get Roy Williams back at Allen Fieldhouse, get his big standing ovation that he very much deserves. But from what I understand and what I read, Roy will never do that. He doesn't want to force the issue against Kansas unless it is in a tournament setting and he has no choice. So if that is not the, if that won't happen, which I guess props to Roy, but we, we'd love North Carolina to come to the field house. We'd love to welcome Roy Williams back with open arms and show our appreciation, even though he didn't give an S about North Carolina back in 2003. So if UNC is not going to come, I don't care about Duke. I don't need to go to Cameron field, Cameron indoor. I'm thinking outside the box here, okay? Except for North Carolina. <laughs> I thought, how about this? Illinois. Illinois. What good does that do, Kansas? Well, top 20 program this year. Finished at number 21. Coached by Brad Underwood, former K-State coach. Really good coach, at least in my mind. I think he's going to get that thing rolling for sure. And if you're talking about old coaches going back to old stomping grounds, Hello? Could you imagine Bill Self going back to Assembly Hall? Whatever they call it there. I think it's Assembly Hall. In Champaign-Urbana. Will they cheer? Will they boo? Who knows? I'd love to see it, though. Have Bill literally go back to his Big Ten roots and play that game in Illinois. It would help scheduling. This is a solid program. And the storylines would be fun. If not Illinois, the other, other school that I thought of. How about Butler? I think Butler would be fun. The battle for the field houses. To have KU go to Hinkle Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, that'd be pretty cool. They only seat about 9,000. I think I looked it up. 9,100. Hinkle Fieldhouse, Allen Fieldhouse. Which fieldhouse is better? Two iconic venues. Butler is another program. Perennial top 25. They'll sometimes creep into the top 15, top 10. That would, again, help scheduling. What about Butler? Sort of in the same vein as Gonzaga. 
mid-major, but still a powerhouse. Of course, back-to-back championship games in 2010 and 2011. I may even prefer Butler over Illinois, to be honest with you. So, yeah. Send it in to me. Who do you want to see in a home-and-home for Kansas? Who would come to the field house? Where would you like them to go? Maybe think of it as like a road trip you'd like to do. Send that my way. At Jonas N310. 310. This quarantine's getting to me. My quarantine beard is getting a little itchy. I should shave, but I'm committed at this point. Pot committed, if you will. Uh, Jonas N310. Send me a DM. This is the Believe in Jayhawks basketball program on the Believe Podcast Network. All right. Let's continue it here. We, we've reached sort of the back end of the program. Appreciate you listening as always. I talked about the walk-ons plus Tristan and Aruna last week. This week, we're talking about the red shirts, the guys who barely or did not play at all this past year. <laughs> this should be fun, right? Hey, we haven't seen these guys play at all. What can we say about them for next year? Bear with me, if you will. I'm going to start with the guy that we perhaps know least about. That would be number three, Dewan Harris. Redshirted this year, actually reclassified as he came out of high school and joined the team. He has been practicing with the team all year long. You may have seen a fresh-faced youngster all season long uh, sitting in, not scrubs, sweatpants, the athletic gear, street clothes, generally behind the bench. That was Dewan Harris, number three. So needless to say, he's a bit of a baby face. Needs to put on some more muscle and grow into his role a bit more. But this is a guy who apparently could be the next great Kansas point guard, or at least a really, really good floor general. Listed at 6'1", 160, so again, slight. How about this? Dewan Harris is from Columbia, Missouri. Swiped that one right under the nose of Mizzou. So if this guy turns into something special, that might bite the Tigers, which is A-OK. Oh, speaking of teams that Kansas will be playing home-and-homes against pretty soon, that starts up next year. How about that? Getting distracted. So uh, according to the Athletic article, or an article in The Athletic written by C.J. Moore, Dewan Harris is the consensus best passer on the team. Not really saying much. This is one of the worst passing teams that – I can remember from a Bill Self team, but hey, good to know that he is talented. Here's a quote pulled from the article from Mitch Lightfoot, another guy we'll talk about in just a second, another guy here redshirted. Quote, he's going to score me, Mitch Lightfoot, a lot of points. He's one of the best facilitators I've played with, and I've played with some pretty damn good players. He's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Okay. Good to hear. For a power forward, for a big man to say that the point guard is going to be scoring him a lot of points, if you follow him, Zanger, with his passing, he's going to be making Lightfoot's job a lot easier. And that's half the battle sometimes for a big man. With the offense that Kansas runs, with the big men running those pin downs, pushing their man up the lane so whoever's passing the ball can get it up and over. Usually, it's just a catch and a layup if the, if the pass is there. So if that's the case, bring on Dewan Harris. This offense works beautifully when the ball is moving and they are executing. Harris's role, 
we'll see, right? Because Bryce Thompson is coming in, and Marcus Garrett, for the time being, is the best pure point guard on the team that's at least played a college game so far. He could play alongside Garrett. He could be used to ease the burden, if you will, on Garrett running the point. I said it earlier, right? As it stands right now, Marcus Garrett will have the primary ball handling duties, and he will also be guarding the best player on the opposing team. So that's a lot of one guy's play. DeWan Harris could perhaps ease that burden. Really excited to watch him play. We'll see. Hopefully he puts on some weight. Hopefully he adjusts to the game. As opposed to the other freshmen coming in, such as Bryce Thompson, at least DeWan Harris has been practicing with the team all year. Somewhat accustomed to the college game. He's been banging against Devon Dotson, playing against guys like Ochai Agbaji and Christian Brown. Sort of gets an idea, but once those bright lights turn on, we all know it's a different animal. Moving on, a guy who actually, very briefly, saw some game action this year. Number 10, Jalen Wilson. He is now a redshirt freshman, as he did not come back later in the year, as was talked about. 6'8", 215 pounds out of Denton, Texas. This is a guy I'm really intrigued by. A four-star recruit last year, originally committed to Michigan. If, you, if you're not familiar with this story, this is a guy who was going to go to Michigan, but he then reopened his recruitment when former Michigan head coach John Beeline bailed and went to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which was ill-fated, to say the least. Reopened the recruitment, he was the very last addition and the very last signing for Bill Self for the roster this past season. Remember, he's best friends with R.J. Hampton, the guy that Kansas supposedly was going to land last year, the five-star guard, but he instead decided to go pro and play overseas last year in New Zealand. You'll probably see him in the NBA next year. He'll get drafted. I don't know how high. Uh, again, likely lottery pick. <laughs> Every guy I talk about is a likely lottery pick. At some point, one of these guys is going to drop out of the lottery. But R.J. Hampton, supposedly as talented as they come, decided to make some money, go overseas, New Zealand, no big deal. But I assume he influenced Jalen Wilson a little bit. They both had a lot of experience with Bill Self. And Jalen, when he reopened that recruitment, came to Lawrence. So Wilson is officially listed as playing two games. But the last time we saw him was November 5th. So by the time the 2020 and then 2021 season reopens or opens up, it's going to be about a year for Jalen Wilson since he saw real game action. November 5th, it was the game against Duke. He played only two minutes and missed his only shot, which was a three-point shot. No rebounds, no assists, one foul, one turnover. That was his stat line for the entire season. In that game, he broke his ankle, had surgery on it, and he was back practicing. There was some chatter about Jalen Wilson perhaps coming back this past year, adding a little bit more punch off the bench. But as he was starting to practice again in January, he had back spasms flare up, and that essentially put the kibosh on the rest of his season. So, at a guy who's, at, who's listed at 6'8", here's another player who could be used as a small ball stretch four. He was already expected to bring some outside scoring this past year's team, so if he's able to sort of readapt to the college game, I am looking at Jalen Wilson potentially as a huge breakout candidate, to be honest with you. As you're probably going to learn, the wing depth on next year's team is insane. 
Like every single guy's got the potential for a huge breakout. Who's going to earn it? Which leads me to the most experienced player on today's list. And again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We're again, right up against it. We'll talk to you next week with some final four talk to wait. So here's number 44, Mitch Lightfoot, red shirt senior. You know all about him at this point. Out of Chandler, Arizona, moved from Kansas City when he was young. Last time we saw Mitch was two seasons ago when he played 34 games. Sat out this year. It looked like it was the plan all along. He didn't even play in the exhibition games. He sat out this year planning for next season. He wanted to have a bigger role next year. And remember what the game plan was heading into this past season. Azabuki, McCormack, Tososa. Not a lot of minutes there for a big man such as Mitch Lightfoot. So he sat, he played with the scout team, and he supposedly got much better. Bill Self said he had a great redshirt year and that he figured out how to score inside, and here's the key, and outside. So why do I bring that up, and why do I emphasize that? Well, Mitch Lightfoot in his career is 10 for 30 shooting the three-point ball. So in three previous seasons of actually playing, 10 for 30. And a lot of those are sort of end of shot clock situations. Just heave it up there. But with having the opportunity to be the go-to player on the scout team, after being three years of being a glue guy, perhaps he's got his scoring touch back. Now with Mitch Lightfoot, a guy who's I think generously listed at like six, seven, six, eight, he's really like six, five, six, six, but he plays power forward. If Bill wanted, and I don't recommend it, but this is a better opportunity to once again play two bigs, a power forward and a center. And that's really if needed, because like I said, Lightfoot is a more traditional mobile power forward. But to me, there's some real tantalizing potential here with Lightfoot playing the five, playing the center position, and in Kansas having five guys on the floor who all move well and potentially all shoot the ball decently. You know, you take out Marcus Garrett if he's running point guard at that time. But, I mean, defensively, you could switch every single position. Offensively, it's going to be spacing galore. Set a pick. Replace the guy there on the wing. Pick and roll. I mean, the the spacing will be. My mind is going crazy right now, potentially thinking about it. But that's really if Lightfoot's three-point shot rounds into form. Even then. It, it could be a very mobile and athletic lineup. And defensively, now that Yudoka Azabuki is leaving, you replace him with a guy who's actually a pretty good shot blocker. Mitch Lightfoot, for his size, has great timing and great instincts, blocks a lot of shots. And if you really listen closely, those courtside microphones will, will pick him up saying something along the lines of, give me that S, or that's mine. Very entertaining player. Can't wait to see him back out there on the court. So those are the red shirts. Who will we talk about next week? You better turn tune in. But until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. Again, stay safe. Wash your hands. Be courteous. Cover your mouth. And as always, rock chalk.